we're gonna start the recording. Oh no, we done did it again, ladies and gentlemen. This is Idea Lemons Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. I am your co-host and the co-founder of Idea Lemon, Rajiv Nathan. I am alongside my co-host and co-founder, Martin McGovern. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the conversation show where we have kick-ass conversations with dope-ass people about those burning life questions that help you better understand who the hell you are and what the hell you're doing. In this episode, we sit down with the editor-in-chief of The Muse, Adrian Granzella Larson. If you're not familiar with The Muse, go to themuse.com. They provide free career advice and hook people up with job opportunities and do a whole lot of cool stuff helping you move forward in your career. We love them. Uh, They've definitely put out some good stuff that's helped us before. So we are sitting down in this episode with... Adrian Granzella Larson, who's editor-in-chief of The Muse, meaning she sees everything that gets put up on that website. And we have some real talk around kind of really being comfortable with knowing yourself. The question we explore in this episode is, are you doing this because you really want to or to gain approval? Before we dive into the episode... Quick reminder to head to idealemon.com if you're not familiar with it already. Over at idealemon.com is where we share the best personal branding advice advice around, uh, learn lifestyle design strategies and things that will help you move forward and get to the next level in your career. Put that career into beast mode, goddammit. All right, let's dive in now to our conversation with Adrian Granzella Larson, editor-in-chief of The Muse, discussing are you doing this because you really want to or to gain approval? Let's listen in. Yeah, so I've dealt with, I've obviously dealt with this personally, but I give career advice for a living and hear, talk to people all the time about the career issues they're dealing with. And I hear a lot of this from people. And truly, it happens a lot with people who are kind of just coming out of college and figuring out what their first step is. But it goes all the way up to people who have executive level positions. It's something that they deal with as well. So I think it's sort of this recurring theme through all of our work, all of our lives. And, you know, at any kind of decision point, I think that it weighs on us. It definitely weighs on me at some point or another. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is the idea that it's a recurring theme, right? Like there yeah. and there has to be a reason for that. Why why is it that this keeps coming up? And I would say a lot of it is because uh and, you know like this is stuff that I've written about before, but like we ha- we've never really been taught traditionally education-wise to learn about ourselves. It's always like learn this subject material, learn about science, learn about math, learn about literature. But there's never a course that's part of a core curriculum anyway that's like Let's learn about you as a person and what you want. Yeah, and there's, and there's always been a right and wrong when you're going through school. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like there's there's always a right answer that you're striving to get because it's all very book based and test based. And you know, once you get out of that mindset, there's like 
with every new subject, there's a voice telling you what to be studying, and there's a voice telling you what's correct. But when you actually get to yourself, all you have are the lessons that you've learned uh, from your parents or, or someone else, and then that voice is the dictating voice in your head. And we talked about this in the first podcast, where how do you separate that voice from all the other voices and understand which one that is yours so that you're not just seeking approval to that, that voice right. you grew up with. Yeah, that's so that's so interesting. I was reading today. Do you guys know Leah Balbuda who runs Zen Habits? Yes. He's one of my favorite blogs out there. And he, he's written about this a lot. And one of the things that he says is, you know, whether it's nature or it's nurture, our brains really crave validation and approval. And our brains really love comfort. We like fear discomfort and we fear change. And our brains often want to go back to what's comfortable and what it knows. And I think a lot of time, yeah, coming out of school when you have had a roadmap, even coming out of you know grad school or your first job when you have a boss telling you what to do and giving you assignments, and you know people weighing in on what your first job should be, our brains just sort of don't know what to do when that when that stops or when we're presented with decisions. Yeah, the validation. I'm really glad you brought that up because that was what I was about to say. Was like it seems like this is about validation at the end of the day, and I think it's funny how much that like permeates our lives to the point where if you've ever noticed like when you're talking to someone you naturally feel a desire to nod yes as they're talking to show them like to validate what they're saying like it's it, it would be very awkward if you just stared at them and didn't move your head <laughs> while they were and saying just something. blank eyed going uh no i don't agree with <laughs> <laughs> but and then but that's like how much it's embedded in us in and in, in our brains of like we need to sh- we need to have proof that what we're doing is the right or the wrong thing there's no like I, I think it's like this default to gray area is something that we don't like we don't naturally try to get into yeah yeah yes go ahead no go ahead oh yeah because it, it seems like on one hand there's the approval piece uh which is wanting to make the people that you're trying to either impress or um bring into your life or whatever the aspect is your parents um trying to make them happy and that's the approval piece. And then the other piece is the, I guess, comfort or laziness side of the spectrum where you just don't want to have to put the effort forth <laughs> to make the decision. Yeah. And mm-hmm. in one of the Avengers movies, or I think it was the first one or something, but where uh, Loki is talking to the crowd of people and he's just like, you were meant to be led. You were meant to have a king. You don't want all this pressure in your life. <laughs> and he like basically like gives this whole thing. And I find it funny because every morning I, I live across from a, uh, a fitness studio and you can see all the people in there like doing, um, what is it, Zumba, Zumba every morning. And it's like every morning I just, I see these people just doing the Zumba and stuff that you would, these moves that you would never do just in, <laughs> in nor- you would never be walking down the street doing Zumba, right? Like, but, but because they went, I do, I don't know how Well, you right, but because they went to a classroom <laughs> where everyone's doing it and there's someone leading it. They have the approval of that person leading the class to do this, and they have the comfort of, oh, I'm not being weird. I'm doing what everyone else is doing. And it's, it, do they really want to be doing Zumba? No. Or maybe yes. Who knows? But they're in that class, and they're doing it because it's, it's accepted in that space. Mm-hmm. It's also a whole lot easier than planning out your own hour-long workout right? Oh yeah. You want somebody else to just, it's much easier to follow the path of somebody else and like, okay, it worked for them. They're in great shape. It's going to work for me. I'll be in great shape rather than going to all the machines and trying to figure out what to do by yourself. 
And that's kind of the purpose of the Muse, right? I mean, you guys put out articles that help guide people down these these paths in order to not have to start from scratch every single time. Yeah, we definitely do. And it, career discovery is how we describe it. You know, showing people lots of different options, kind of opening the door to companies and the people that work there to show people kind of what all of the different options are, right? It's not just Zumba or going to the machines yourself. Um, there are a thousand, a million things that you could do with your career and with your life. And we really try to kind of show people what all of those options are and give them the tools and also the kind of personal empowerment to go after what it is that's really interesting to them. And I think a lot of that too goes to, I mean, the fact that you guys like are these, you know, the career discovery resource and why you put out that content and why people gravitate to that content is because there's a certain knowledge base your writers have and your staff has that people come to for that. Well, just like with the Zumba class, you go to someone or whatever fitness class, anything, you go to someone yeah, a else. certified Zumba trainer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you go to someone else because they've built up the knowledge and the skill level and the expertise in it, which means you're inherently comfortable saying, I don't know how to do this on my own, which is easier when it's a group setting like that. Or when it's like reading something online because no one's watching, right? No one's, right. you know, I, in most cases, no one's looking over your shoulder at what what blog posts you're reading on your screen. So that's a protected space. Whether it's in a group fitness class, it's like other people don't know, so it's yeah. okay. Or when sadly, you're they put my window just straight across. Me, so. <laughs> you see, see everyone. So like, I don't even have a choice. I'm just like trying to make breakfast, and I'm staring at Zumba. Close <laughs> your blinds. You could get a free Zumba class. You could just follow up. <laughs> and then they'll look back and be like, "What's this asshole doing? <laughs> Is he making fun of us?" <laughs> He doesn't have music on in his apartment. <laughs> I'm, I'm just listening to death metal doing Zumba. <laughs> Zumba. So, but with those cases, it's like there are they're protected environments. It's yeah. much tougher though to admit what you don't know in an unprotected environment. So, an instance of that would be like maybe it's a a group conversation you're having. Like, how many times have you seen like maybe you've given a presentation, Adrian? And then you'll ask, like, any questions? And it's really tough to get that first person to raise their hand and say, I have a question, or I don't understand this. Can you explain further? But then once one person does it, then other people start raising their hands. Right, right. Or to go to your boss or your coworkers and say, you know, I'm not sure about this, or I'd like to try this, or what do you think about this, or I don't know about this. It's so hard to have that conversation. And I think once you do and once you sort of open that door you'll find that most people are really willing to help you and feel exactly the same way you do yeah and I, it's funny because what you had said sort of reminds me of that video that ted talk video where um it shows that one dude dancing have you guys seen this it has the one guy who's like in the park yeah he's like dancing at a concert and he's like oh, okay. really over the top crazy and it's like, if one person's doing it, he's crazy. And then right. someone else joins in, and it's like, if two people are doing it, it's a thing. And then if a third person joins, every, it's like, now it's the whole crowd. Like, mm -hmm. hundreds of people start flocking toward it. So yeah. it just started with this one crazy dude. But what are some of the things that you were saying, you know, going to your boss is, is uncomfortable. Is it, What are some of the things that prevent people from doing that? Is it normally the culture or the environment, or is it just... Like, as you guys have been, you know, 
reaching out and helping people with all these trainings, what, what are some of the common themes you see pop up throughout our career that prevents us from opening up to people in our careers? I think there's a big feeling of you have to have it all figured out on your own. And, you know, throughout the hiring process, you, you know, you put your best self to bring your best self to an interview and do everything you can to get hired. And once you're there, you feel like, well, they, you know, they hired me among all these other people. I pitched myself on these skills. I need to have them and I need to really show them what I've got. And it's a really kind of vulnerable experience to ever admit that, you know, you don't know something or you, or you do need help on something. I think it's really, it's really scary to admit that you don't have it all figured out. Yeah, and Martin, you've mentioned before, like, one of the things you, like, you said, like, I don't know if I know how to ask for help. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> Whereas, I mean, I don't know, I, I throw myself out there and probably make an asshole of myself all the time being like, hey, can you help me with this? But why, so why do you think you don't know how to ask for help? Or why do you think it's something you struggle with having the confidence to do? Um, well, I think there's a few things that go into it. Like, when I was younger, um... I had four brothers, or I have four brothers still, but <laughs> uh, when I was growing up, um, if you asked a stupid question, you know how people say there's no stupid questions. That's not yeah. true when you have four brothers. <laughs> there are very dumb questions that you do not ask, and uh, <laughs> and we would kind of, like, our, our relationship was very much kind of based on movie quotes and ripping on each other, and so... <laughs> typical. Typical four <laughs> brothers, right? And um, it kind of ingrained in you to... Uh, before ever bringing something up to the group that might make you sound stupid and give them more fodder, uh, you better know what you're talking about. And that's kind of funny because even to today, if, if politics ever come up, uh, whoever has done the most research tends to come out on top in those conversations. It's not really a discussion. It's more who's going to win this mm -hmm. debate. Uh, and so it's still, even to this day, is kind of a... Uh, you better come with a full deck, otherwise don't play. Uh, and so I feel like that plays out in a lot of different ways in my life where, um, you know, I'll get an assignment I, that I've never done it done before. Uh, I will spend a few hours researching it, trying to find the right way to approach it or a tutorial or something prior to saying, you know, I've never done this before. Uh, can I get some help? Because um, I also feel like people don't like to be bothered. But these are all just things that I, I work on on a daily basis, and I also feel like there's strengths in other ways. So, I don't know. I think that there's there's a lot of reasons that go into it, but what are some of the things that maybe you guys do as, as you approach different problems in, this, in a similar way? Um, for me, I think it's... Uh, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't have a problem necessarily asking people for help. It's more about... Uh, do, am I fighting more about I should really take the time to figure this out on my own first or learn a little bit about it before I go and, you know, do something. Um, and that, that's like an ego battle, right? Like, it's like, no, like I should be good at this kind of thing instead of just being like, I'm not good at this. <laughs> Let me just ask someone. Uh, and I know like that's also been a problem historically for me with like delegating work too. So while, I mean, asking for help, I would say is not too much of the problem. I mean, conversely, it's like telling people to help me is more of my problem. Mm. So, like, um, Adrian, for background, Martin and I, uh, we went to DePaul uh, for undergrad together, and we started the undergrad marketing club there um, where I was the president and he was one of the vice presidents. And 
there was a lot of shit that had to be done like all the time that I took on completely by myself and didn't even think to be like, hey, you, can you help me with this? Because I was like so scared of, do they know how to do it? Do like, am I like giving What's them the too much to do? Yeah. Back, do I have to right? train them how to do this? And I probably like that's that's been my problem for a while is how do I tell other people that I need their help? Yeah. That's such a typical entrepreneur mindset too. Um wanting to have full control over mm-hmm. everything. Well, and if you flip it, so I'm I mean, you were a first employee at the Muse, right? Yep, I and, was. And so, you know, there's there's a big difference between uh coming up with an idea yourself and asking people for help or being assigned things. And just I'm kind of curious in an entrepreneurial um arena that you were in, uh, how much of it was, you know, here's all the things that are being delegated, here's all the things that I'm coming up with, and is there a difference in the way that people seek maybe help or approval in those two different sides? Yeah, I think that, I mean, especially as you guys know, in the very early days of a startup, there's no one to even delegate to. <laughs> <laughs> like, you could try to delegate to somebody, but their plate is as full as yours, if not more. And so that is what I faced in the early days. Now it's quite different. Now I have a team of people and often they do things far better than I can do them. And that, that honest, I mean, I used to have a hugely hard time delegating, mm-hmm. um, as you mentioned. Well, because you, like, you, you don't think they can do it as well as you, right? Like, you don't think they can, <laughs> no. And it's your baby that you've built from yeah. the ground up, and you don't want to hand something over that could potentially go wrong or, or different. And the moment that I started letting go to people that I hired who I trusted, the moment I was like, oh, man, this is the best. I need to do more of this. Um, if you hire the right people, if you hire people with different skill sets than you have, it makes your life so much better to start delegating some of that stuff mm-hmm. and and letting people do a better job than you ever could. Um, it's really been amazing how how much that has happened, especially within the last year. Wow. And, and so getting into the second part of the question, how do you decide which pieces to delegate and which pieces to keep? So right now, the question that I ask myself a lot is, do I absolutely have to be the person doing it? It, And if I'm not, if somebody else could do it, I read something the other day that said, if someone else can do it 70% as good as you can do it, you should delegate it. Um, If somebody could only do it, you know, 50%, no, you should keep it. Um, If you have to do it for whatever reason, you know, a relationship that you have, a very specific skill set or, or, you know, knowledge base that you have, you should do it. But if somebody else can, at 70%, let them have it. I like that. So what are some of the things that you haven't delegated yet? Well, I have not yet delegated. So I was telling you guys before we hopped on, we are building a new product, which is going to be a platform for one-on-one career coaching, connecting people who, who want help, like we were talking about, with, um, with coaches who do this for a living and, and have expertise that they, um, that they work with people on. So I'm spending a lot of time on that right now, and there's no one really to delegate that part of my work to. Um, I'm also the final set of eyes on everything that gets published on our site. 
That's a and lot of stuff that you see. It's a lot oh of stuff. <laughs> I read a lot of words every week. <laughs> and eventually I will delegate that. But for the time being, I'm still the one who, who does that. Damn. Like, how many articles go up on a, like, in, a, in a single day? We do, about, on most weekdays, we do eight articles. Damn. We're at about 50 articles a week right now. Wow. That's a lot that you a lot have of- to review. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Some of them are shorter, some of them are longer, yeah. um, but there's a, there's a lot of stuff on there. <laughs> well, and I what, think I think a lot of this, like what it comes down to, is um, you know, like should I delegate? Should I not delegate? I think the root of this, a lot of it, is how much trust do I have in another person? And then to take that even further back, is this and talking about that recurring theme from earlier is trust kind of like the low hanging fruit here or or the deepest rooted thing of like, do we not have, have we not built up enough of a culture or enough of an internal mindset of, I should be able to trust this person is our default mindset distrust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and even deeper than the other person, do I trust myself to know I'm making the right decision? Yeah. Yeah. That's because I think that's really where this question gets at is, are you doing this to gain approval or do you do it because you really want to? And that's because if you don't trust yourself, you're just going to say, well, that person told me or that person said that this is the way it should be done. And it kind of takes the blame, any sort of future responsibility mm-hmm. off of your shoulders. Because uh, you're like, well, how come you spent you know, 15 years of that job that you didn't like or in that relationship you didn't like? Well, I was told that once you were in it, you just yeah. had to keep moving up the ranks. And like, I just believed that that was true, and I kept doing it. And so some people don't stop to question that and trust their own instincts of whether or not what they're doing is right. And if you don't trust your instincts from the start, you're never going to hire the right people, and you're never going to be able to delegate any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's Yeah, that's so, so true. Actually, when I was sort of preparing for this conversation, I asked a bunch of people in my life, what you know? What was the time that they did something to gain approval versus what they really wanted to do? And two people mentioned hiring examples where they were down to two people. They sort of their gut was telling them to go one way, and their companies or their coworkers or sort of internal processes pointed them towards the other person, and they ended up hiring the other person. And both situations ended really, really badly. Oh wow! Yeah. And I mean, you guys, I don't know how many employees you guys have, but you know the cost. It's just us. Just you? Yeah. Um, Well, someday we have (laughs) lots of employees. (laughs) Um, You know, hiring the wrong person is, it's devastating to your day-to-day life. It's devastating to your business. It can be devastating financially. Um, And it's just so, so important to trust, to trust yourself through that process. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've heard so much about that first employee being like the most important hire a company can make. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing they hired you. <laughs> seems seems to be working that. out okay. <laughs> they've kept me around for four years now. Unless so. like they're just like seething and like when you're not like, ah, oh, that Adrian. Oh, oh man. With all those articles going through? No. Yeah. Like, meanwhile, on my end, I'm like doing like the mischievous like hand like rolling thing. So <laughs> um, I think on the hiring front, um, a lot of that happens at, so like from the the view of the candidate like oh i really need this it's like it's like it, i think it happens because you think you need that job versus you want that job mm. and that comes from this mindset that oh like 
the you know the market is scarce, right? There aren't that many jobs available. I should be thankful just to have anything. Which mm-hmm. okay, I know like two thousand eight was a down economy and everything, but there are still people who found work and found really good jobs at that time. So it's more about like you have to just not accept the surface level explanation of this is the state of things and dig deeper than that and say, no, if I don't like, if I don't want this, there are other things out there for me. And that comes from knowing yourself really well and knowing that you want the job, not just a job. And honestly, companies want people who want their job, not just any job. Mm -hmm. They can tell, um, you know, there are plenty of companies hiring right now and they are not just looking for any candidate. They want people who are really passionate about what they're doing every day, who are really passionate about the business. So you almost really have to do some soul searching about what you really want before you start job searching and then make sure that shines through in every step of the way or you're probably not going to get hired. Are you a, are you a Seinfeld fan? You know, I watched it. I watched it a little bit, um, but I don't. I I don't know all of the episodes <laughs> the way that I do with, say, Friends. Okay, so uh, so we we reference Seinfeld a lot on this show, but there there's an episode where George is he's at the unemployment office and like to get an extension on his on his welfare checks, he like makes up that he's been interviewing at this company named Vandalay Industries, and then he gives them Jerry's number, and then he, <laughs> he runs he like he runs to Jerry's place to tell him what's going on. He's like out of breath. And he's like, did anybody call here asking for Vandalay Industries? No, what happened to you? All right, listen close. I was at the unemployment office. And I told them I was very close to getting a job with Vandalay Industries. And I gave them your phone number. So well, now, when the phone rings, you have to answer, Vandalay Industries. I'm Vandalay Industries? Right. What is that? You're in latex. Latex. Right. And what do I do with latex? I don't know. You manufacture it. Right here in this little apartment? And what do I say about you? You're considering hiring me for your latex salesman. I'm going to hire you as my latex salesman? Right. I don't think so. (laughs) Why would I do that? Because I asked you to. If you think I'm looking for someone to just sit at a desk, pushing papers around, you can forget it. Enough headaches just trying to manufacture this stuff. So to relate this to friends, Joey and Chandler bought a duck. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember that. Oh, man. (laughs) I think, um, yeah, and I think on the employer side, too, like you mentioned, it's, um, it's, it's a newer thing, I feel like, that companies want people who really want them. Because this whole idea of, like, positive work culture and keeping employees happy, like, that's a relatively new idea. Because it, it's not a society now where you work one place and you work there for 30 years and then you retire for that same company. Yeah. So now, like, it's on them to make sure they're getting the best employees and the people who want them. Because yeah. they need you to stick around yeah. for as long as possible and keep right. you happy. Well, it's like I got lunch with my grandpa, and he was he was saying, uh, I said, you know, I just want a job that like excites me and I'm happy in. And he goes, when did happiness and job ever go together? <laughs> and I was like, he's like, you think you kissed today? Think goes off on his like thing, and I was just like, uh, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's around with these kids today? Uh, yeah. But no, I just it 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 is an evolving mindset, and I think. Um, the whole concept of are you just doing are you trying to get a job in an industry to to be 
just someone who is pleasing your parents, like a lawyer or whatever it is that people do. How many people go to law school not because they want to be lawyers, just because they don't know what to do next? So and many. Same with yeah. grad school too, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. And the amount of money you put in and then you've got yourself stuck in a situation mm-hmm. um, where I think there's just, there's so oh. many other ways if you start with, you know, I mean, people think like artists can't make a living, right? Like there's that stereotype. But there are so many thousands of jobs that relate to art or orbit around art. So, like, saying you want to be an actor, yeah, Jim Carrey is a hard thing to achieve as an actor. But think of how many people are doing the entertainment law for actors or doing something else that orbits the industry that they love and the topics that they love but can actually make a living off of it. And so I think that there's a mixture of both bringing your skills to the table, but also bringing what your core interests are and what the things that, you know, really mean something to you if you really sit back and think about it and merging all those things together instead of just going down a path because it's a path. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that that's so interesting. A lot of people look at, at jobs as very black and white. I either need to be, you know, doing something I love, being this artist, making no money, or having a real job and doing something I hate. Like... A lot of people don't look at all of the options there are along the spectrum. Yeah, and that's all about what you guys do, which is this career discovery piece, which there are so many jobs orbiting that one iconic piece that are all very, very interesting jobs. That, right. Uh, like, if, if you like travel, you don't just have to be a travel blogger. You could work at Airbnb. There's so many things that you can do. Right, work at a company that really that also loves travel, where everybody loves travel. That gives you a really, you know, great travel package. I think Airbnb gives every employee something like two or five thousand dollars a year just to travel. They give you that time and they give you the money to go make it happen. That's amazing. It's awesome, <laughs> and you know, everybody there loves travel. You talk about travel all day. Like maybe you're doing marketing, maybe you're doing finance, but you're surrounded. You're like still surrounded by what you love. Yeah. I, th- I want to know, Adrian, in your own life, um, like from personal experience, not necessarily working with other people, but like your own internal decision, like you've faced before, um, when's a time where you had to be like, do I really want this? Or is this something that I'm just doing because it's supposed to be what I'm doing? Yeah. I mean, that was very much a theme when I was deciding whether to come to the Muse. So prior to the Muse, I was working, I had a great job, great salary, great benefits, you know, nine to five, kind of all the things that our parents' generation would say, you know, yeah, that's a great job. And it just didn't really fill me up in any way. And when I started thinking about what I wanted to do next, um, which was really, you know, writing and editing, I have that same sort of internal struggle of how am I going to make money doing this? What's everybody going to think when I leave this job? And to make a very long story short, I started doing some freelance writing and that's how I met Catherine and Alex, who are the founders of The Muse. And one day they said, hey, we're, we're founding this company. It's going to be called The Muse. We don't have a website yet, nor do we have any money, but we want somebody to to build it with us and we want that person to be you. And you know, they were offering me about a third, a fourth of what I was making at my previous job. They you know, had about two months worth of runway in the bank. They had a big dream 
um, but not much else. And it was really a struggle for me to think about, you know, do I, do I stay the course and keep doing what I'm doing and, uh, you know, what everybody expects him to do. Um, you know, I was talking this through with lots of, lots of friends and family. And my mother was like, are you crazy? What mm -hmm. are you thinking? Don't you love the, are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I, I think a lot of people were, were saying that without saying it, but my mom actually <laughs> said it. <laughs> and, um, I always trust you know, family to put it out there. <laughs> yeah, family always puts it out there. They really say what they feel, or at least mine does. Yeah. <laughs> but ultimately, I ended up at the Muse, and you know, it's a decision that I have never regretted since. And it was very much a moment of, or it was very much a lesson for me that it was something that truly sounded crazy and that people thought was crazy, and it was the best decision I've ever made. Um, and that's taught me that I really do need to trust myself if I really feel in my gut like something is the right decision. Now, with that, did you have any, like, I don't know, strategy or approach? Or were there things that you even just asked yourself to get to the decision to be like, this is what I want? So one of the things that I think I did without putting it into words, and then I read an article the other day that really put it into words for me, was thinking about not necessarily what I wanted to be in the future, but who I wanted to be. Um, you know, I didn't want to be somebody who made a good salary and clocked in at a, in an okay job every day from nine to five. I didn't want to be that person. I wanted to be someone who was doing something really interesting and exciting for the world and, and changing the world and working on something that I believed in. That's who I wanted to be. And, and this decision got me closer to who I wanted to be. Yeah, that's really, and, and I, I can't tell you how many times on, on this podcast we've harped on the whole, like, know yourself before anything else, and that speaks right to it. And it's funny that, like, you mentioned that because it goes back to, like, the, the quote-unquote system that we're in, right? School never asked us. What lifestyle do you want? Yeah, what lifestyle yeah. do you want? Who are yeah. you now and who do you want to become? I mean, they may have said, like, pick an idol and say why you want to be like that person, but it was always, what do you want to do? Like, that's what, you know, that's what your parents start asking you when you're in middle school. It's what those standardized tests, like, spit out, like the state achievement test. They'll be like, these are the jobs that would be good for you. And it's mm -hmm. all what, 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 what. It's never mm -hmm. who. It's never or am why? I, you know, is this me kind of thing. Yeah. And the what's important too, certainly, but it needs to be balanced with, yeah. with the who. Well, and the what can play out a million different ways and will play out a million different ways over the course of your life if you know who you are and why you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so like, so for instance, with that, like I have a, a cousin in India who, so the way the school system works in India is basically like after high school, you take this really crazy intense test. And then based on how you score on the test, like that determines what like field you can get accepted into in college. So like if you score really high on science, you can choose like engineering or whatever, or like or medicine, that kind of stuff. But if you score low on it, you're, you're, there's no essay you can write that'll bring you back. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like kind of growing up, like the whole family, um, and I and I've kind of been told this secondhand because she's a little bit older than me. Um, but kind of as she was growing up, the whole family was kind of banking on like, she's going to be the first doctor in the family. And then the test stuff comes around at the end of high school and she doesn't score high enough. 
And she was only like three points off. She doesn't score high enough to make it into med school. And like, you know, I, from what I've heard, the family was like, this is a disaster. Like, what the fuck? Like, this is, I, this is unbelievable. Like, what are we going to do? That kind of stuff. And then meanwhile, I mean, obviously she was like upset for a little bit, but then she just kind of like, she picked herself up and she then ultimately got into hospital administration because mm. she saw it was really more about the people and kind of creating good environments for people. And that's, and it's like to Martin, to your point of like, there's a million different what's out there, right? Like doctor could have been a what, but she, for her, she saw doctor's not the end all be all or the only thing I can be. And she went into hospital administration instead. And then very quickly she became a CEO of a hospital. And now she's, she directs health policy for the country of India. Like she has the, wow. prime, she has the prime minister on wow. her cell phone. And the number <laughs> of people she can impact is just insur- just yeah. incredible. Right, exactly, to, right? Versus being in an office, you know, seeing five, 10 patients a day. Yeah. She has a billion person country in the palm of her hand. That's insane. <laughs> That's an amazing story. Yeah. Yeah, and she's someone you know I look up to, and I I always think to that story when I'm like, just because the exact thing I want isn't playing out right now doesn't mean something else can't happen that makes you know the situation even better. Oh my gosh, I, will you send me her name? I want to use her in a story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's also talk about so Martin, uh, I think, and you've got I'm going to tee you up for this story okay. here about right. what you want versus approval or what you think you want kind of thing so very recently you were about this close and adrian my 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 thumb and my my index finger are like a millimeter apart (laughs) (laughs) you were this close to traveling the world for a year with this thing called the go project oh wow and you did not so take us through that story yeah so about a year and a half ago, I got really into the idea of co-working spaces and co-living spaces. And uh, if if people don't know what co-living is, it's basically a co-working space that is also um, an apartment building uh, that, you know, you live there, you work there. And, it's like a dorm. Yeah, it's like a dorm almost, <laughs> except, you know, high-end with chalkboard walls. <laughs> and uh, that led me into a series of um, conversations that led to uh, talking to one of my old coworkers at my first job who had left uh, her who had left that same job in order to travel the country with a with a group and uh, create this sort of entrepreneurship training ground I guess you would say uh, where each every three months they go to a different area of the world uh, so Turkey Istanbul Turkey and uh, uh, Santiago Chile and um, they they go and in between there's three weeks of backpacking and so it's a year long program where you get to work in these entrepreneurship hubs in these developing company uh, countries and and help them with social projects and different um, things that are going on and uh, about a year and a half ago they were going to open their first class but then put it off for another year while they developed the company and got the infrastructure down and then just recently it popped back up and it was a very short window of time. Uh, to apply and get in and make your decision and buy your ticket and leave the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had been having this thing in the back of my head for a year, so it, it had always been something that intrigued me. Uh, and then once they they came around and they actually said, hey, fill out the application, I filled out the application, I did my interview and everything went amazing and I got accepted. And all of a sudden I had 
now the chance to make a decision. Do I travel the world for a year? Because I already knew I was going to be leaving my job. So do I travel the world for a year and do this exploratory um, kind of educational experience that I'll come back with a great portfolio? Or do I hunker down with what I've been working on the past few years on the side and make Idea Lemon my full-time, all-in, everything, uh, every day? And it was one of those moments where I really had to sit down. I had a lot of conversations with people and had to... Uh, at first, I was 100% in. I was just like, oh my god, how cool does this sound? Travel the world. You're going to have so many stories. It's going to be phenomenal. And then on the other hand, uh, when I actually sat down and had a number of conversations, I started realizing that the voice in my head saying to do that was really based out of fear and was based out of running away from a lot of the things that I was confronting in my life at the time mm -hmm. rather than searching for opportunity. And so... Uh, when I really sat down and thought through the whole everything, I realized that the voice that in my that was in my head that um, was what I really wanted to do was based in the lifestyle that I was trying to create for myself, which is a company that I run and create products with and and am developing versus um, traveling the world, which is something I don't even travel that much. So it's not even, <laughs> it's not even that big of a thing uh, in, my, in my sort of life goals. Uh, so when I really sat down and, and sort of listed out the pros and cons, the pros of being able to travel the, the world and see all these things and do some amazing stuff uh, didn't measure up to the idea that every day while I was on that trip, I'd probably be thinking about what I really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've seen in both of my past jobs which is every day I wake up to go to my job, but the first idea that goes through my head is what I want to be working on with my company, not what I should be working on for this job. And so I had to really sit down and come to terms with myself and say, hey, if this is every morning what you wake up thinking, maybe that's what you should build your life around. And it led me to turning down that, that opportunity and, and deciding... Well, and I was very thankful for that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which, which. But I supported you if you wanted to go. Yeah. I mean, and we were going to try and make it work, but yeah. let's be real. Uh, the time difference would have gotten to us. But, it, <laughs> but it, we were like, no, we'll figure yeah, it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> but it, it was fascinating because, um, I mean, at the same time, I was going through um, a lot of kind of big changes in my life, and and you sort of get overwhelmed, I think. And going back to what we talked about at the beginning, uh, sometimes people just want to say, oh. I don't want to put more effort into this. This thing's already planned. They already know where they're going. They've already got everything planned out for the next year. I can just hop onto that and let and ride it out for a year. Yeah. And, and it would be amazing. It seriously would be an amazing yeah. experience. But that's not taking ownership. That's not taking control. That's not listening to what I want and what I want to build. That's allowing someone else's path to guide me. And I think um, that there was a real kind of internal conflict with that. And in the end, I chose the hard work he chose me um, <laughs> it's like it was like a bachelor he gave me the rose <laughs> wow that's a really great story and then i think a lot of that too um you know which what you didn't necessarily mention and not you know not to put your family on blast but like your family was not into the idea of you going so then a lot of this too becomes like uh out of spite decision right i don't know about spite i think it's or just, more like so a, just like i'll show them it's it's kind of like so for the past two years, going back to the, uh, my parents think I'm crazy that you had said uh, when when you said you're gonna go work for the Muse, um, they 
for the past few years, I've been doing a lot of things like going to like I tried isolation tanks where you float in the in the water in, in like light and sound deprivation, like crazy weird things in Chicago that you can just like those those weird places that people will go that you're like, oh yeah, that would be a fun group on or something yeah. like that. Yeah, wait, <laughs> um, how was that? Uh, it was phenomenal. I thought I was Iron Man. I still I need to do this. Through space. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's great. Yeah, they're they're hilarious. Uh, you. Just don't get salt in your eye, because then you'll like get out. You'll check your phone, and it ruins the whole experience. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, that, I have a whole blog about it. But there's um, there there was definitely a piece of like whenever for a while there for a couple of years I had back in college I had always kind of done the expected thing, and so for a while every time I came up with an idea that I thought was interesting and I would tell it to my family I would say hey I'm gonna go do this wacky thing like the space tanks and they would say well that sounds weird and if i got the that sounds weird i'd go do it because yeah. <laughs> i'm like if it sounds weird to my family it's something i want to try and uh the same kind of went for uh the trip it was kind of like well that sounds weird and i'm like or that sounds scary or or unexpected or dangerous because it was turkey but uh i was like you know it does and it's something i want to try and i think there were some elements of well are you doing it just to be the opposite of someone else or are you doing it to kind of fulfill what you're going for? Yeah. Um, that reminds me of, uh, I don't know, Adrian, if you're familiar with this rapper named Hoodie Allen. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, but that's a great name. Yeah, he's actually, he's out of New York. He, he came out of Brooklyn uh, a few years ago and it, he's got a really cool story himself because he kind of just started as like this underground, like white Jewish, like suburban kid who built this insane following through Twitter and just being like a very accessible artist. Like, you know, I would go to his shows when he was playing really small venues a couple of years ago and he would take pictures with the first like hundred people in line, that kind of stuff. If you tweet him, he tweets you back. So he, you know, he, it was, he kind of built up his following by like being friends with everyone who enjoyed his music. Um, and he also, he used to work at Google like, in their AdWords program and left that. And he went to Penn for college. So, like, he's a really smart dude. But he was like, I don't want any of that. I want to work on music. Um, so a really good story with him of just doing what he wants to do. But he's got, um, i trying to think of which song works better for this scenario because they both work well. He has one song called You're Welcome where the, the chorus of the song is he says... No, I can't be that guy to sit and say it's alright. I'm getting it, uh, uh, I'm getting it, I'm getting it. Yeah, you welcome. No, I can't be that guy to sit and waste my whole life. I'm getting it, uh, uh, I'm getting it. I'm getting it, yeah, you welcome. Uh, sometimes I wish I could just take a break and skate around. Even if I suck at skating sunny days, I'm staying out. Which goes and back to Martin, you said about, like, well, it's already taken care of. I'll just go along with it. Mm -hmm. So he's got that song, and then he's got another song, uh, which is another favorite of mine from his, where he says, um, I don't want to be a legend. I don't want to get to heaven. I just want to do me right now. Which is another thing where it's like, these are the things you're told you're supposed to do strive for and become and do but for him he's like no but at the end of the day I just want to do me and do what I want if those things happen great but yeah. that's not what the mm -hmm. goal is interesting when um when my my brother is uh is a doctor now but when he his whole life he wanted to be an astronaut like not his whole life, meaning six years old, like when he was 22, he wanted to be an astronaut. And um, he, 
he went out and talked to a bunch of people who actually are astronauts. He would send them these long emails telling them about his goals and, and what he what he wanted to do. And several of them responded to him and agreed to sit down with him and talk about kind of what it takes to be an astronaut. And the number one piece of advice he got was, it is such a crapshoot to being an astronaut. There are so many factors that are out of your control. You need to pick something to do that you are going to love along the way. You have to love the journey because you might not ever make it to the goal. Mm, wow. And I thought that was such good advice for every, all of the rest of us, all of the rest of us non-astronauts. Um, because you're right, you don't know what's, what's going to happen and um, you know if you're going to make it to whatever goal. Yeah, and I, I actually just heard a podcast the other day uh, where they interviewed two people. I, I have to look up which exact podcast it was, but um, one woman, uh, she actually went into space, but she was like the backup person forever. So like literally a week before, she was like, I'm not going into space. And then someone got sick or something and she ended up getting to bumped up. And then there's another person who is on Richard Branson's list of like, like just normal people that gets to go, um, and they in the in the podcast actually connected these two women who got to like share their experience of like loving space together. One who's been, one who might go, and then um, just like a, right after they recorded this podcast, uh, the the most recent uh, ship that went up blew up, and it delayed like all future travel for. Like just put everything on hold, and so they checked back in with the woman, and they're like, "We don't know if you'll ever go up now." And so it's like it's kind of crazy, exactly what you're saying. Whereas you might have these huge goals, um, and they may they may seem unachievable. So someone says they want to be, uh, you know, the the biggest rapper, the biggest actor, and you know, you can say to that kid when they're 11 years old, "Well, you better get good at waiting tables." Or you can say to them, you better understand every single piece of the rap game mm -hmm. from start to finish. So what, what happens between today and getting to the top? You may not get there, but you'll get somewhere along the way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you, know, you might plateau at producer or something like that, mm -hmm. but that's pretty damn better. That's way better than waiter, which is what I think a lot of people are told when they're, they're kids. Yeah. Yeah. That, so that reminds me of, so when we had um, our friend Don D from, he's the rapper in the band Cloud9 on the, on the show, however many episodes ago it was, um, he said, like, he does music because, yeah. like, obviously he loves it, right? And he wants, I'm sure he wants to become really famous with it. Like, Cloud9's built a good Midwest following, but I'm sure they want to go national and be much bigger than what they are. Um, but for him, he's like, I do this because I want to be able to thank the rappers who have inspired and influenced me in my life. So like me doing this is me finding an avenue to be able to get to them and say, here's how you've impacted me in my life. And that's like right along with what you said. It's like, it's not just about like, what's the outcome of am I this or am I that? Mm -hmm. For him, it's like my, the reason why this gives me joy is because there are people who have influenced me and I want, I want to be able to thank them. Wow, and that goes back to the idea of who you bring into your life, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, your brother reached out to all of these astronauts, and some of them responded to him, and some of them met with him, and now he knows astronauts. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's amazing. Versus saying, like, oh, you'll never get into space. Oh, well, then I guess I'll never reach out to an astronaut ever, and I'll just dream about it and watch movies. Um, 
like because you have that big goal you're going to meet people and you think about comedians I, I think that's one of my favorite groups to look at right now where even the comedians who aren't the biggest still get to meet their idols like here and there at, at a comedy club because Jerry Seinfeld will go back to the comedy cellar yeah. and he'll talk yeah. to like new comedians and uh, you get to see how sort of they have their own little like club almost mm-hmm. that they all talk to each other and it's, it's pretty fascinating with your brother, sorry, and I apologize if you did mention this, but what ended up happening? Like, did he, or what did he end up getting into? So he's a doctor now. Okay. He's um, he's in emergency medicine, and he um, before he did that, he actually went to work at MIT for a while and did some research on a a space shuttle. He not himself, but research that impacted what was going on in the space shuttle. So I think it will always be an interest of his. Um, and certainly they do send doctors into space and people who understand physiology and, and the body. But he's not banking on it. Mm-hmm. Did he ultimately find out like why it was important or why he thought he wanted to be an astronaut? And, and I'm sure that carries over to why he's a doctor too. He's a very extreme person. <laughs> so when he when he decided when he realized that, you know, being an astronaut was a crapshoot, he was like, "Okay, so what is the second most extreme thing I could possibly <laughs> think of doing?" And so he spent he went to spend, he spent 9 months in Antarctica. Wow. Um, living there doing research for Raytheon on weather patterns in Antarctica. And he was like, "Well, this is great. This is, you know, the most extreme place on earth. So he's found ways to sort of, (laughs) you know, and in the ER every day, he sees the most extreme things that happen to human beings. So he's living that passion for extreme, extreme living in other ways. Totally. And that, and that's important, right? It's about like, at the end of the day, it's about like having these extreme or these really like crazy experiences happen to him. However, he chooses to make an output of that. It's just an output. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. We were we were teaching a personal branding workshop recently, and one of the students came up to me afterwards and was like, uh, "What advice do you have, like, in like finding a new passion if you can't do something you love anymore?" And I was like, "Well, what's your deal?" He's like, "Well, I, you know, I had this back injury, so I can't run anymore." Oh, and I said, wow. and I said, and what we do in the workshop is we help people figure out what's their individual mission and purpose in life and then use that to build your brand instead of just like saying you're a doctor and becoming and just being doctor and associating only with that. Um, So I told him, I was like, well, go back to what we just talked about in the class, in the workshop and get down to, so like you, you know, your mission now, you know, your purpose. So how does running fit into that? So what's the reason why you enjoy running? And when you know that reason, look at what else could fulfill that reason. Mm-hmm. Because there are other things you can do that would give you that same high. Well, that's what happened to me in, in drawing. I used to be really into drawing logos and cartoons and anything with my hands. And then I got a, I got into a skiing accident and can't draw for more than five minutes at a time without putting the pen down and just like massaging my hand for ten <laughs> minutes. Um, and that's when I picked up a camera and started taking photographs. So yeah, there's always n- another avenue for that that creativity to come out in. Yeah, just this morning, uh, my uh, yoga instructor, I was telling her, uh, you know, I have a, I don't know if you know this, Adrian, but I'm a rapper as well. Uh, you are. I am. Nice, and uh, a yogi, a yogi rapper. He, he actually. I've been hashtagging yogi rapper. He actually raps <laughs> while in yoga poses. Yeah, check out my Instagram. I, I throw oh out gosh. 15 second videos <laughs> of me rapping while in arm balances and inversions. I can't wait to check it out. <laughs> Um, so 
I was telling her I have a show coming up at the end of the month, and she was like, "Awesome! I'll try to make it." Like, is you know, like, is uh, is rapping like what you want to do as your career? Like, is that what you you know would love to do if you could pick anything? And I told her I was like, I said it's part of what I want to become. It's like it's not the only thing I want to do. I said I'm basically building a life around what I really enjoy and and who I want to be. Rapping will always be a part of that. Or maybe it won't be, but I'm okay with that. As, well, I it's was like, writing, it's storytelling. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was like, it's more about like, I'm finding ways to make good stories. And I know when I'm on stage, like I say to myself, this is what I'm born to do. But I also say that to myself, like when I write, you know, one of our blog posts or when we do one of our workshops, like these are all just instances of me having this deeper rooted desire and passion to bring out authenticity in people and tell stories to influence them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I were to, I don't know, magically lose rapping talent or if something happened where I couldn't rap anymore, maybe I'd be down for a little bit. A ninja takes out your voice. Box. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I'd be down for a little bit, but that wouldn't I wouldn't be done. Yeah. I'd yeah. find something else to fill, fulfill the need. Yeah. So outside of writing, what are what are some of the things that kind of drew you to your job at the Muse and how do you see that showing up elsewhere in your life? Yeah, so for me, I mean, it's it's a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about. I never knew what I wanted to do when I grew up. I, you know, went to college and felt like I had to figure it out very, very quickly and, you know, made a lot of career decisions very reactively or very much because, you know, it sounded like a good idea or somebody told me it was a good idea and I just never felt very fulfilled with my career. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And it was so much my driving force behind doing, I mean, I love writing and I love editing. And I think those are the, the skills and talents that I bring to the world. But the subject matter of helping people not go through what I went through or you know, understand how to get out of that kind of funk that I was in has always been a driving force um, over the last four years since I've been doing this. So if you were a rapper, your name would be like Funk Breaker? Funk Breaker, funk, funk yeah. Break, funk Breaker Flex. Oh my gosh, should I just change my Instagram handle right now? <laughs> but um, I mean, that's not to say that, you know, I haven't been in funks myself. I actually love, both of you said something that I really that I really liked, and Martin, when you were talking about sort of deciding whether to travel around the world or, or focus on your company. Um, you, you said that you paid attention to what you were thinking about when you got up every morning and, and listened to that little voice. And I think that that's a really, especially when you're in a funk and you kind of aren't listening to what you are trying to tell yourself, to pay attention to those little signs, um, to find ways to hear your voice even when you're not hearing it if that makes sense no absolutely and and one of the best things so um with i do 750 words every morning um, that's the journal site the journal site and i noticed that um when i'm in a really bad funk so like when i went through a breakup i stopped journaling and it's because i was not really wanting to, to listen to my <laughs> yeah to acknowledge my own voice whereas like now i force myself no matter how i feel in the morning to do it 
And then at the same time, um, just creating these podcasts gives you something to look back on as like to literally listen to yeah. your voice. Like I, I don't <laughs> yeah. have a choice not to listen to myself anymore because it's documented in so many different ways. Whereas for years in my first job, the first three years out of college, I all I knew was that I felt weird and I didn't enjoy anything. Uh, I had nothing concrete to look back on and actually hear myself on a daily basis. So I, I, I do love that point. Yeah. <laughs> you love the I point. I love the point that I made. <laughs> I, I <laughs> That's awesome that you write every day. I think that is something that I would love. To, I don't write enough now. Um, you get enough writing in your life in other ways. <laughs> I know. I get writing in my life in other ways, but I am not producing it. But I think every time I have had to make a big career decision, I, I just start writing like pen and paper and just sort of see what comes out. And that, that has been a helpful way for me to listen to what my voice is saying um, when I can't pay attention to it. So I like that 750 words every morning. And, and what's what I think is crazy or interesting too is if you ignore the voice and do something you know that you don't really want to do, it starts to that voice starts to poke its head out in different ways, yeah, like here away. and there. Yeah, it doesn't you go away, it. and it sh- it shows its head in one way yeah. or another. You'll either go yeah. out too hard on a Friday, or you'll get angry at someone too quickly, or. It'll, it'll pop up. These are the, This is the diary yeah. of Martin McGovern. Oh. <laughs> you think you know? You have no idea. <laughs> so what was the second one that you were thinking of? Oh, and now I totally forgot. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All good. All good. It'll come to me. It'll come to me. It was something you used to Chief, but it'll okay. come to me. Don't worry about it. We should probably wrap up anyways. Um, <laughs> Before we do, uh, Adrian, uh, what are you guys working on at the Muse? What are you working on personally? And where can our audience find you? Yeah, so you can find us at themuse.com. You can find all of our articles and advice at themuse.com slash advice. And one of the, well, we're actually working on two really exciting things. We are redesigning the whole site. It will be rolled out next week. So check us out next week. It'll be even more beautiful. And And by the time this goes live, it will have already been live. It will have already been there. Yes. Perfect. And then within the next few months, we are launching a service that matches people with one-on-one career coaches and people who are specialists in, you know, resumes, cover letters, interviewing, personal branding, job search strategy, career path planning, figuring out what you want to do with your life, listening to your voice and figuring out what that what that is. So there will be lots of ways for you to get that help that you need and and figure out, you know, the next step in your career. Basically everything we have talked listeners, everything we have everything talked, we about, have today, talked <laughs> about today, the muse will have action yes. plans for action plans. <laughs> You'll be able to, for a very affordable price, talk one on one to a career counselor who will help you with all of the things. Awesome. That's amazing. Awesome. All right, so then to wrap up, um, we'll go one by one and give our answer to today's question. We'll start with Martin. So Martin, uh, We'll tweak the question a little bit, but but how would you tell someone to approach? Are you doing this to gain approval or because you really want to? Well, I'm going to go back to that point that I made that she reiterated <laughs> that I certainly love. <laughs> <laughs> I really do think it is about listening to yourself, and I think the best way to listen to yourself is to one 
take the time to think about it in the morning and to uh, document it somehow. If it's writing it, if it's video journals on your on your computer, if it's a podcast, however you want to do it. Um, I'm currently testing lots of different ways of recording your thoughts in order to be able to go back because uh, I got scared off of journaling as a kid when my parents found my journal and uh, found some not cool things that I wrote in it. Uh, and, and I'm very happy to be back in the journaling groove um, and I hope to continue doing it. So that's that's my recommendation. Nice. My response, so I'm going to give a more like, actually, we've done, we talked a lot, a lot of deep stuff with this, but I'm going to t- give a more surface level response that actually helps so me super a lot. Raj. <laughs> uh, Martin, do you remember when we had that like marathon conversation about if you were going to do the world travel thing or stick it out with me? Um, at the very end of it, I said, grab a coin. And I said, okay, heads, you go and travel, tails, you stay. And it was tails, and I and it wasn't so much like what does the coin decide. I asked you, how does this make you feel? And you were like, I'm relieved. And I said, okay, that means you should be staying instead of going. Yeah. So and I've used the, that 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 trick or whatever you want to call it, that hack, that method, a lot of times when I'm trying to make a decision where one one decision is has the other decision is tails. And when I flip the coin, I then ask myself, what's like my immediate reaction to this? Which one did you want it to land on? Exactly, exactly. in the air. Exactly. And then that's, you know, the one I wanted it to land on is what I'm like, okay, I should probably go down that path instead. But it landed on heads. I have to do the other one. (laughs) (laughs) Adrian, what is your response to, or how would you give someone advice for answering, are you doing this to gain approval or because you really want to? Yeah, I would say, I mean, we've talked, I would say a lot of the things that we've talked about, but I'm finding the right people who live on their own terms and who do things because they want to, not not to gain approval, I think is really important to have role models in your life of people who are living their life this way and people who support you doing what you want and not what they think you should do, I think is it's really important to surround yourself with the right people. Adrian Granzello Larson of The Muse, Editor-in-Chief, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. What's that? Salute the editor. Yeah. (laughs) You also hold control over over Congress. You can veto bills, all that stuff. Definitely. (laughs) Commander, (laughs) Editor-in-Chief. Those laws just come through with the rest of the articles. (laughs) It all comes across my desk every day. All right, we'll catch you soon. Thanks, you guys have been great. That wrapped up our conversation with Adrian Gronzella Larson, Editor-in-Chief of The Muse. Adrian, thank you for joining us and having an amazing conversation. If you want to check out Adrian and The Muse, go to themuse.com. We'll link up her stuff in the show notes. And guess what? That coaching, That career coaching platform that she alluded to actually just went live last week the first week of november 2015 and guess what your boys martin and raji are coaches on that career coaching platform so check it out if you want resume review help job search strategy help networking strategy if you want to deep dive into your personal branding check out the muses coach connect platform it is at www.themuse.com we're all really excited for it Did you like this episode? If so, could you do us a favor and 
not only subscribe to the show on iTunes or your podcast app, but leave us a rating and review because ratings and reviews mean more people get to see this show and learn about it and they can discover their inner awesome. So don't be so selfish about taking in the knowledge. Let's spread the wealth and uh, leave us a rating and review, would you? All right. Let's run through the show credits real quick. This episode featured a clip from the Seinfeld episode, The Boyfriend. It also featured the Hoodie Allen song, You're Welcome. And our show's theme, which you are listening to right now, is by a band named Sidewalk Chalk. The song is called Lyrically Free. It's off their first album, Corner Store, which you can grab on iTunes and Spotify. That wraps up this episode of Discover Your Inner Awesome. Thank you again to Adrian Granzella Larson. For Martin McGovern, I am Rajiv Nathan. Until next time, we'll see ya.